Right then, let's go. I am delighted to introduce another episode of Two on One, the Power Chair Football Podcast. I am again joined by Mr. Ryan Sipple, my co-host, and our now permanent guest host, uh, Mr. Dean Williams. It's great to have you both here. How are you, gents? Alex, excited to be back doing this again. Uh, so am I. Looking forward to this episode. I think this episode will be a great interest for uh, young players and also coaches up and down uh, the country throughout our clubs and leagues as we get to grips with the FA talent pathway. We are delighted to be joined uh, by Mr. Rob Seal and Adam McAvoy. Rob uh, works at the FA uh, and Adam is of course our uh, development manager uh, for the WFA but so works very closely on the pathway. I won't do too much of an intro on them because I'm going to ask them to introduce themselves. So first up, uh, Rob, welcome. Thank you so much for having me. Really delighted to be on this podcast. It's I've, like, as I said before, I've, I've uh, heard a few of the previous episodes, and you're doing a fantastic job, guys, uh, in raising the awareness and um, you know, shouting from the rooftops the great work that's going on across uh, all, all power chair football. So, um, yeah, I'll try and be as brief as I can. I spent 17 years at Chelsea Foundation. I worked with boys and girls of all abilities. Uh, worked, worked across different player pathways, development centres, had a chance to work in the academy in their recruitment and I was, a, I was an academy scout. Um, it, that opened up doors to educate colleagues around my real passion which is power football um, and by far the most rewarding is, is I found in my time there was working with players with disabilities and yeah for the majority of the time I was there I headed up the disability football department and we really grew it um, and expanded and took on uh, various different projects and uh, we hosted in the days back in the day it was center of excellence um, but talent hubs and um, you know, regional emerging talent programs for para footballers um, and alongside my work at Chelsea I started um, taking on some consultancy work with the FA I was a coach a mentor a tutor so delivering coaching disabled footballers workshops. Um, I had a chance to also then sort of go into um, being a talent selection scout in, in para football. Had a chance to work with the B1 development squad a few years back as well. Uh, and I did coach on the RETP, um, the core RETP as we call it, for players who are deaf, partially sighted and have cerebral palsy. Lovely stuff, and, and that brings us up to where you are now, I suppose. That's right, yeah. So in, in between and alongside these roles, I, I also managed to, to qualify as a teacher. I'm not quite sure how I found the time, but um, yeah, that, that that's a real passion of mine. So 
I'm, I'm now currently the, um, the, the development, um, let me get <laughs> let me get my job title right. Um, sorry to make mistakes. First off, guys, yeah. So talent, talent, talent development, development and, and education lead. lead. Thank you, Ryan. Yeah. So I'm now the uh, talent development and education lead at the FA. Um, How could you forget such a catchy <laughs> job title? <right? laughs> it just slips off the tongue, doesn't it? <laughs> so um, yeah, t- talent development and education lead in the para football team at the FA and um, yeah hence why the kind of teacher experience helps in my role now where I'm, I'm looking after talent hubs and the regional emerging talent program which I'm sure we're going to speak quite a lot about so we've got this core RETP which is as I said before for players who are blind uh, sorry the partially sighted deaf and players with cerebral palsy and also that responsibility to support the growth and development of the power chair RETP. Lovely. Now that brings us neatly in, I think, to uh, Adam McAvoy's involvement in this process. Um, the the majority of listeners, I think, will know Adam and will probably know uh, uh, he's heavily involved in power chair football. They might not know the specifics of your role, but let's rather than go over all of that, let's go into how you fit into the uh, Emerging Talent Programme for Power Chair Football. Yeah, thanks, Alex. So in the context of my role within uh, this particular element, uh, I've worked with Rob and obviously previously with uh, with Will Perkins on establishing the pathway. So back in 2019, uh, it was the, the beginnings of the programme itself, starting off with obviously the, the regional emerging talent uh, pathway and just working at setting it up in terms of what it would look like across the three regions so initially it was just two regions so we're north and south and thankfully that's grown over the last couple of years to, to three regions and I'm on hand to support uh, Rob with uh, bits of, of coordination from our end um, and then also to support when it comes to some of the the coaching provision supporting the coaches that uh, lead on the regional program and then also around uh, identifying the some of the players that are we're looking at trying to progress through the program as well excellent so so we've now got a good introduction i hope to both of your roles and how that that fits in and we've got the phrase emerging talent program regional emerging talent program etc um so i guess the 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 next question will be can we explain those? However, I think Ryan wants to jump in with a... No, a- absolutely that. I was just wanted to clarify for anyone tuning in that if we go to RETP and use the abbreviations, that is for the Regional Emergent Talent Programme. Just Rob, from your point of view, uh, it would be good to understand from an FA perspective what the RETP is and its ultimate objectives, uh, both within the core programme and the Powerchair-specific ones. Yeah, so the Regional Emerging Talent Programme, or RETP as you say, is, is very much a checkpoint for players. It allows us to monitor their developmental progress and their performance standards. We only really see players three to four times a year. So we, it, it, as I say, it's a snapshot of how they're getting on. We obviously keep tabs on their development back at their clubs. That's This is across both the core and the power chair RETPs but um, 
yeah, it's a, it's, a, it's a chance really for players to showcase their talents, um, how they're progressing according to their age and their stage, because um, everyone's at a different um, point of, in their football journey. Um, and yeah, I think it's it's just a, a, a an early step on the para football pathway, um, and it and it should be a, an environment where players feel really supported but challenged to the right levels uh, to help them progress and ultimately um, transition through the pathway. Um, the next step being the National Emerging Talent Programme, which uh, which we've had some recent success of players um, moving through to that level. Perfect. And just for those that don't know, and, and whilst power chair football is unique, certainly uh, when compared to the other impairments, as kind of a, a base framework, the RETP is age specific. So is it 12 to 18, I think? That's, that's right, Ryan. Yeah, there, there is some a bit of flexibility on that. And it's something myself and Adam are, are still sort of grappling with in terms of getting making sure that it's the right environment for, for players. But that's roughly the, the age we, we expect players to be at at the RETP um, in terms of power chair. Yeah. No, that's 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 great, because I think. Uh, thinking about the RETP, certainly current participants, I think our youngest player, uh, certainly when they entered the program were 9 or 10. Um, so there's that on the bottom end of that scale. Uh, we kind of said if, if players are competing in regional or national uh, league football, then they absolutely sh are old enough to access the opportunities through the FA's RETP. Um, and likewise, there's others that have come into power chair football later th than others. So we have currently, we have players upwards of 20, 21, 22 within the program as well, because um, the nature of power chair football and the disabilities that we cater towards, um, it isn't, some of them are uh, age, some of them deteriorate over age. So, um, being able to provide opportunities for people and players accessing the sport later than you typically would maybe in other impairments. Also a thing to add to that as well, obviously we all know that we had a pretty large period of, of time away from the game due to COVID, so some of those players that had initially entered the programme in, in 2019 in their you know, mid-teens then lost a good 18-20 months of, of football, so taking that into consideration it's given us a little bit of, of flexibility to to give them more opportunity really to, to be within the program uh, and to continue to, to give us and, and their coaches uh, the ability to, to show what they've been working on certainly in the last 12 18 months since we've we've come back to, to really full activity so the England uh, the RETP or the England pathway as a whole RETP, would you say, Rob, is kind of the the base level, uh, certainly within power chair football, for those that don't know, the RETP uh, is the bottom of four steps currently, and then it's the National Emergent Talent Programme, which we can talk on in a little bit more detail. Uh, then that progresses to the recently introduced England Development Team, 
and then the England senior team. So is that kind of how you view it? It's the it's the entry point for uh, young, talented, aspiring players who want to represent their countries, hopefully one day. That's exactly right, Ryan. And um, you know, in that when you sort of frame it in that way, there's not many steps, are there, to to sort of that from that first taste of the pathway up to senior level, and you know. We, we've got some fantastic staff and really experienced, knowledgeable coaches on the programme that are there to help support players um, through and guide them, support them to, to, to make sure that we, we're really allowing them to, to realise their full potential. Something that I, I absolutely love about the England pathway, and I think uh, you can probably speak in a bit more detail, but from our perspective, the England pathway for power chair football is so comprehensive at any one time you can have upwards of 55 65 players within that FA ladder to become England internationals Adam's already alluded to the fact that the RETP is now split across three regions we deliver one in the south in the Midlands and the north so all three of them squads are comprised of 10 players um, so 30 players at any one time just in the RETP and that's then obviously as you go up to the National Emergent Talent Programme, England Development and England Senior, it gives afford so many opportunities to players and whilst it doesn't sound like a lot of steps, um, the opportunities are there because we've got a smaller pool of participants maybe when compared to more mainstream uh, forms of talent pathway. I'm going to interject for a minute here because I feel it's remiss not to thank Rob and the FA for the work that they're doing because you know, I'm sitting there from a perspective of just about, oh, you knew I'd talk about this, just about to launch our medium-term strategy from a WFA perspective. And, and one of the key words on that, something I'm suggesting we would call one of our core foundations is the word of opportunity. And you started off, Rob, by talking about showcasing talent. And then we've suddenly gone into language there around opportunity. That is such an important part of what our strategy should be. And, you know, without you guys having something that has the eloquence of what you currently have in play, that, of course, changes the nature of the opportunity that we're affording people and those that are interested in potentially going on to represent their country. So I, I love that. But it is a personal, from a chair perspective, it's a personal thank you for the, the work that you put into that. And, of course, that opportunity you're giving our, our athletes as well. Thank you for that. Well, thanks for your kind words, Dean. It, it's such a privilege, first and foremost, to be involved in, in this world. And it's you know, an, an absolute passion of mine to make sure that we are giving players of all backgrounds a chance to progress and realise their dreams. If, if, they, if they dream of playing for England one day, well, it, we, we're here to help support them. And, um, you know, the, 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 the setup that the, the WFA have in terms of all, all the players um, playing in the national leagues and, and that setup is is quite extraordinary as well. So in terms of, you mentioned, you know, with players in other formats of the game may well be hiding in mainstream football. Um, it's, it's, it's incredible to have um, opportunities, as you say, for, for players to, to play in our really fantastic national league. I think it would be really beneficial to talk in more detail about the nomination and selection process. So firstly for you, Rob, I'd love to understand what talent identification looks like. So uh, what players 
can focus on what they can do i'd love to hear more about the fa6 key capabilities in the wider core programs that the fa deliver and then from adam's point of view how they are relevant to power chair football and maybe provide some examples absolutely so um yeah I, i think it's important to mention that para is very much mentioned at the fa in the same breath as men's and women's um and you know alongside all of those um, squads that come under men's, women's and para, we're all really committed to making sure we're developing more skillful players, that we're, that we're providing more inspirational opportunities and that we're offering support through our transformational workforce, as I mentioned before, some really fantastic individuals who are there to help players along their journey. Um, in terms of the nomination and selection process, you know, it's it should be an accolade for for a club to say they've they've got a player or they supported a player into the power pathway, and you know it, 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 there are some clubs out there that maybe are not aware of the level that that is required. We'll always say that we'd welcome any nomination, um, and 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 it, and we always want a, a club or, or coaches at clubs to come and see what the RETP is all about and understanding if if it's right for one of their their young players in in their club um we'll always say as well that it's all about players personal growth so if a player's not ready for the RETP at the time they they might come along for for a taster we'll all we will always say that it's um a case of they're not ready yet we'll always provide feedback on their strengths and development areas and we will again always uh, welcome a player back and, and monitor the, their development. Um, we call it a bit of a revol- revolving door in, in our pathway and that, that door is never closed for, for a player. That's great. And focusing on the FA6 key capabilities, we've, we've discussed it many times at the ver- various uh, RETPs that we, we deliver and it's something that you reference fairly prominently um, and just before we started recording I spoke about the, the FA's old four corner model which comprised technical, psychological, physical and social. Uh, from your point of view has, has it transitioned now from that four corner model to the six key capabilities and if you can talk about them capabilities? Absolutely. So while we, while we realise that in a coaching session um, we want to affect a player in those four corners, as you rightly mentioned, we, we also then, on top of that, and it's quite a new initiative from the FA, again, as I mentioned, across all, all the formats of the game, we are looking at those six key capabilities, which are scanning, timing, movement, positioning, deception and technique. So it's fantastic that we're able to share these capabilities with our RETP players and to to, to sort of educate them around w- what the terms actually mean. Uh, when we're giving feedback to them, it's quite clear and concise in, in what we're asking them to think about uh, when you've got those six headings there. Um, and it, interestingly for, for me, you know, in the power chair game, um, scanning for one player may well look very different to scanning for another player. Um, again, we we always talk about chair positioning as well on on the court. Um, so these are, these are all 
um, quite new but but exciting uh, ways and terms to, to, to use when, when working with these these players um, and you know in amongst all this we know that um, the talented players in the power share game need to have um, excellent communication they need to see leadership and you know in, in a lot of ways it's it's the real characters that are the ones that progress and, and develop through to the next stage then I'll pass it over to Adam and Alex being such influential members within the RETP and beyond how you kind of uh, used them 6k key, key capabilities to um, guide your coaching sessions and assess players quality yeah thanks Roy I think in terms of those six key capabilities from certainly from my point of view to be able to support the program and and in turn support the coaches working within it it was to give a little bit of, of definition and understanding as to how it links to to power chair football so i'll just touch on on each of them and give a, a couple of examples um just to emphasize that so for positioning it would be around uh, a player's chair control and, and their chair preparation so making sure that as rob touched on around which way they're facing and, and the angles of their their chair uh, to be able to help them uh, make a decision and, and execute what it is that they they want to do uh, for movement obviously that's around their their driving ability and understanding and what i mean by that is obviously how well that they can can drive and can control the chair but also understanding when potentially that it might be better for them to be playing in reverse or when it might be better for them to be playing going forwards so that's a, an example for that from a from a technique point of view that's how our players strike the ball and the variety of, of ways to strike a ball and the execution uh, for that and then that links really nicely to the timing around uh, the direction of uh, when and where to pass as well and then I really like uh, deception and, and scanning as, as two of the, the final capabilities uh, I love deception because for me that's around you know indica indicating to execute one action and quickly change to another so it might be that you're looking to to spin into the ball and then you may all of a sudden change and you do a 360 spin and completely change the angle of, of the pass and then finally for scanning for me that's around always being our game is so fast and it's around understanding the positions of your teammates the positions of the opponents understanding where your teammates might go where the opposition might go as well and around those movements and patterns so those are, are, are how we try to to link it to the six key ca capabilities but also we're conscious that the players that certainly at the RETP level, they won't necessarily be able to execute all of them, but they may demonstrate multiple uh, abilities within you know three, four of those uh, capabilities. And then for, for us and for the coaches to really try and work on those and also the other areas where they may not be as proficient just yet. I'm just I'm just for a brief moment thinking about my capability those six capabilities and when I first got in a power chair 
how I would have scored. I'm not sure that's uh, something I want to know the answer to at all. Thank goodness for that. You'll be looking for a far better quality than I was able to demonstrate. I just want to go back to a word that you mentioned, Rob, actually, because I, I think this might be quite useful, and I, I'd be fascinated by how you and Adam would read into the word that you've used. So you use the word character. We're looking for character that's out there. Uh, if I asked you to give a definition to what you believe to be the right character, the things that you look for, what would you say? Excellent question. I, I think, you know, someone who is eventually going to represent their country in the power chair squad has has to have um, many, many uh, aspects of their character, really. Um, I think it's important to have um, a leader. And the work, what I was looking for there was to say someone who's uh, going to lead by example, someone who you can, you can really trust and um, count on in high pressure situations, um, somebody who's really um, able to take that pressure and, um, and perform to the highest level uh, when it really counts. I think I think that I think that provides a perfect time to talk about that communication piece and that social piece. Um, and I'm going to come to Adam for this. We we try and reiterate over and over again the importance of communication and the social skills within the RETP I'm going to after this I'm going to go over to Alex because Alex being the current coach of the South Regional Emergent Talent Programme uh, constructs his coaching sessions to have a strong focus on social skills and communication Ad can you just talk about the importance of social skills and communication and why they're so important for this program at the very base level going forward yeah i think for us and you know even with my own coaches hat on working with players and, and observing players at this level it's to try and see almost the the foundations and, and the shoots of players that, that have some of those elements so are they happy to uh, answer questions and, and when things are posed to them by a coach or by their teammates they're willing to give uh, an opinion or on their court when they're actually playing is there some form of communication now it doesn't necessarily have to be verbal it could be non-verbal it could be with the eyes it could be through pointing anything that we can pick up on as if to say that as a player they're thinking about either what it is that they want to do or where they want to receive the ball and it's like they're playing a game of, of chess and they're trying to think about what that next movement or next action is that's then demonstrating not only that that social side of the way that they're trying to communicate with with those around them but also that psychological side as well around their understanding of of what it is that they want to do um you know for the next step and then for us is trying to build on it from there um, so it's not always definitely that it has to be a really loud verbal communicator but it's just got to be someone that's able to showcase that they are you know willing to to communicate with their peers um, and go from there so then over to alex because you are uh, have a strong focus on the social element of power chair football and just would like to for you to talk about how you create your sessions to facilitate them sort of interactions so uh, yeah full disclosure i do coach on the retp in south and so i get to 
uh, spend some time with Adam and Rob uh, in the programme, so I know it quite well, as well as hosting um, alongside Brian and Dean today. But I do have, therefore, have some some insight into what what happens on the in the sessions and why I construct, as you say, my sessions uh, quite a lot around communication. I'll take a step up to the top level and then we'll come back down as to why we do it. So when when you watch international football or powerchair football, um, it's at most it's a really you know, European and world is every two years. So th- there's uh, there's been a great deal of growth between when uh, England last played competitive game of, of power chair football to when they played their first game at the World Cup. And by a lot of growth, I mean other countries have developed their tactics, they've developed their strategies, players have developed how they're going to... So England are coming up against new challenges. They have n- a new, opponent, uh, new opponents to, to play against, they have new tactical setups to play against. They are all have uh, extremely good capabilities when it comes to those those six core capabilities we talk about scanning timing movement positioning deception and techniques how you apply those as a team is is at its core we need to solve the problem of beating this team you can't solve that problem if you don't communicate and agree how you're going to do it you'll need to change tactics mid-tournament you might need to change them mid-game you might need to be able to recognize what's happening in front of you on a pitch and why you aren't getting success or why you are getting success. And so being able to communicate and understand what you're doing as a team is fundamental to being an international footballer. You have more surprises as an international team than you do as a, as a national league team, because at national league you see them every single year, you see them 10 times a year. So you, you know you, you, there's regular information you've got against your opponents. That isn't the case when it comes to international football necessarily. So we need to be able to have uh, footballers that can problem solve they can analyze what's going on in front of them as a pitch and they also understand as a group what strategies and techniques they can implement to overcome that that comes back down to being able to have players that can communicate with each other about those strategies about the problems they can see and how they can be uh, uh, solve them so my sessions often include um, a lot of uh, changing scenarios within gameplay so we might introduce some unusual rules we might introduce uh, some unbalanced teams to play against. Um, there'd be a variety of uh, uh, circumstances that present them with a challenge they wouldn't normally come up, uh, come up against in a game. That isn't necessarily means that they, they what the challenges are going to come up in in the future. What it is doing though is creating players or get, giving players an environment where they have to think about how can we best succeed here. Then we talk about that. Then we imp- implement strategies and we use the skills and the six core capabilities that we've got to, to overcome them as best we can. So um, that's predominantly why, the, why my sessions are, are, are focused around that communication and that problem solving as a group, is it gives players some tactical insight without sitting through a PowerPoint. Um, so that's, that's what I would say ultimately is we're using, or, or my sessions are designed to increase communication by giving them problems to solve that requires it. And that's is a is a development for a player as, as they go along the pathway. No, I can a- I can absolutely vouch to that. Some of the uh, weird and wacky things that you pull out to uh, deliver your sessions, whether that's uh, a six by uh, a three by three grid on the wall where people have to play noughts and crosses, where uh, typical goals through the goalposts aren't aren't the way to. Uh, give your team an advantage 
it's constantly changing, constantly evolving, which requires players firstly to process that internally and then relay that information to their other teammates. And it is uh, fantastic. And uh, attending all three sessions alongside uh, Adam, when I say sessions, I mean the South, Midlands and North. It gives me such a, a fantastic insight into the different levels of coaching the different techniques and strategies adopted by our various coaches and that brings me on to requirements for coaches on the retp i'm going to pass it over to adam to begin with because i think from a power chair point of view you can talk about what is required um, from the wfa and the fa for people and coaches to be considered for the program and what they can do uh, in the future to be considered yeah, so I, I think the, the key thing to initially emphasise is that this is the beginnings of a performance programme for, for the players. So by that, it's also the requirement for us to have performance-based coaches uh, as well uh, to deliver. Uh, and by that, I mean you know having that preparation in place beforehand and, and not off-the-cuff coaching as, as some coaches may do. You know, although I hasten to add that, you know, you may see something as a coach mid-session which steers you in a slightly different uh, direction. But for me, that comes as a result of being prepared in the first place and knowing what it is that you are delivering and what you're looking for. And if it's something's not quite right, you might be then uh, able to, to interject and it might take you down a slightly different uh, route uh, as well. But that's part of that um, being a performance coach and that having that preparation and knowledge in your mind about what it is that you're trying to achieve within your within your sessions. And then for me, it's around having reflective coaches as well, uh, both in regards to not only reflecting about the players after your your sessions and building an understanding about what their their strengths are and what their areas for development are, but also around that self reflection too around what you deliver and, and what went well, what would be even better, what you might look to do next time. Because for me, putting that all into the to the mixing and the, and the pot, it means that coaches have that idea around what it is that we're looking for and, and working with Rob, just some of the key things that we want to establish, which, you know, it sits really with the core programme as well around having a high percentage of ball rolling time. So players are doing a lot of work within the time that they're there. Um, coaches have got to be aware around the players that they're working with, so having an understanding of the different types of impairment and how that might affect the players as well and taking that into consideration, but also then utilising that to be able to maximise the ability of the player. So if you've got a player that maybe can't turn their head to look over their shoulder, as a coach, my focus would be if they can't then turn, then we need to make them absolutely top class at moving in reverse and building a picture and being able to see everything whilst going backwards. Um, linking into things like that around being really positive as a coach throughout, lots of engagement with the players, uh, challenging their knowledge, asking them questions, using a whiteboard, uh, and creating a, a challenging environment, but also a, a supportive environment. So some of the, the phraseology that's used uh, by some of the other coaches across the core programme 
um, is around being comfortably uncomfortable. So being in an environment where you know you might not be able to do something straight away, but you're going to work towards it, and you've got your coaches to be able to support you to achieve those goals. Um, and then finally, the same as the players as well, having that effort and, and attitude and being positive around being on the program and wanting to, to help our players reach the next level of, of their development. That whole simulating, what I would call progress, I mean, I, I would, in my, if I'm not talking about my passion of wheelchair and parachair football, the, the reality is the business world that I'm in, simulating problems and events is a great way of testing people's metal. Uh, and I think that goes back to the point we we're talking about in terms of character. So it, to your point now, if you're simulating those environments, what could happen against a certain different nation, a different team? What, what would you do if those kind of scenarios? That really does make, make sure that we heighten people's decision-making skills. So I've written down here as you were talking, guys, decision-making under pressure is the key bit because you can actually learn to make decisions and have processes to deal with that biggest thing for me is simulating events that actually throws people deliberately puts them under that pressure and sees what they've got around that i'm really encouraged to hear there are lots of people that are putting a lot of time and effort into planning how you go about simulating those kind of environments so i think that's a really really good thing i've just heard there yeah thanks dean We, we we also then offer some coaching opportunity or we offer coaching opportunities as well for us to impart a bit of knowledge and and offer solutions and offer suggestions um, within that. So um, a team might be presented with a, uh, a rule mid-game um, where they they can't put an extra defender in the box. So all of a sudden they've got they've got to defend differently. But the converse of that means that they can also attack differently. So then then there's there's th- seeing threats as also as opportunities. And so it's about um, uh, developing players that understand what. That, imp- that what that implication is for us and the opposition as well um, and we do that often with a quite a tight time limit and we give them quite a time time tight time limit to um, discuss and make decisions and do that then we reflect afterwards did you make the right decision in that time what were the key things you needed to look at I'm, I'm gonna end with a coining a phrase there which is the more you sweat in training the less you bleed in battle and I think that's a lovely sentiment for people to think about listening to this podcast as well. So if, if that preparation that goes into it and you throw yourself into those things from a, from a playing perspective, then it's going to pay off. Nothing is neutral. Those kind of things will pay off. I would say, I think, or I hope, that if you ask most players um, in the South, I'm not saying that it's not the case elsewhere, but I can't speak for it. Most of them will say that the sessions are also quite a lot of fun um, and quite enjoyable as well. So, you know, there, there's... Um, that's also in there at that level. It's not. It's not coming in in high pressure um, to to perform, and you get told off if you don't. There, there's a, there should be a lot of fun involved in that process as well, uh, which I'm sure Rob, with his teaching background, will tell you is a, a good environment to to learn in as well. Absolutely, Alex, and and I, I'll I'll back uh, back up Dean's words there. That fact that you you empower these young players to um, problem solve and 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 give them loads of opportunities to fail, which is very much a, a part of the learning process, um, is really gonna help strengthen their development a- across their, their skills and, and you know, the, the psychological side of, 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 of performing uh, under pressure, like you say. But yeah, absolutely agree with you. They're, they're, they're 
always enjoyable your sessions um i just want one one, of the, one final point about the coaching um side of it and the communication i think it's it's something that you do and and the coaches on the program do really well is inviting that feedback from the players throughout a training session throughout match situations as well to to make sure that they're getting a real say and they they, they have some ownership over the direction of the, the training session as well. And that again, gives a platform for players to um, verbalize their, how they're feeling and, and, and how the session's going. And Adam mentioned rightly that a good coach would always um, self-evaluate and, um, and seek, seek feedback from, from everyone else involved in the session. Just to provide some clarity, more to Adam, what is the current process for clubs nominating players? So if a club has a promising young player, what is the process of making them um, known to the FA? Yeah, so this is something that we, Rob and I, and, and Rob can, can touch on this uh, as well, around that process of trying to make it as, as easy and as straightforward as, as possible. So it's effectively uh, a club-based process where they can put forward uh, a player or players that they feel uh, would be uh, suitable to, to move into the programme. But as part of that, they have to detail uh, and explain some of the key attributes that they feel that the player has, which links to the six key capabilities. So they give a little bit of a, uh, an overview as to what they feel that the, the player is, is competent at and then that process uh, comes through to, to Rob and we will then discuss the players and, and normally it's a case of um, inviting them to to their local region and, and coming along just to see how they are in that environment and that's something that we've done quite recently with some of the players that have come into the program for the first time um, and so that would give them a bit of an overview and then from there if uh, we and the coaches and, and Al's a good example of this that they feel that they're suited, suitable to be in the environment then they'll be welcomed into the program uh, to uh, come and participate on a regular basis but then likewise we have had players that maybe it's, it's not their time just yet and they've gone away with feedback uh, as to why that is and what we feel that they need to work on um, to then potentially come back into the programme in maybe 12, 18, 24 months time dependent on on things there. So it's always a case of it's not a never, it's just a, a not now and then we'll always keep that door open for players to come back through. So with that and obviously now this uh, podcast hopefully clubs will have a, a stronger understanding as to what that uh, requirement is in that process and certainly from going forward for, for next season onwards we look forward to having uh, more players to be able to assess and, and look at and hopefully come into the program. So Rob's obviously already mentioned the fact that we gather three or four times a year so each region certainly at RATP level within power chair football will uh, gather together for one day where they'll be assessed and they will be kind of uh, reviewed whilst referencing them six key capabilities 
Rob, because it's it was recently introduced, and I know uh, it's the p- potential for one coming up. You you oversee a kind of a nationwide uh, regional emergent talent program day at St George's Park, where we typically take the top performers within the RETP uh, and s- assess their suitability to potentially progress, or if it's an age-based consideration for them to drop out. Can you talk about that a little bit more? Absolutely, yeah. I, I just wanted to add one point on to um, Adam's discussion around the nomination process. Firstly, though, um, I think it's important for coaches at clubs to, to understand the, the level required to, to to be in the Regional Emerging Talent Programme. So, um, of course, we, we always welcome a coach down to observe and uh, uh, come and, come and see, see the players in action, just so they've got a real understanding of, of the sort of level of player we're looking for for the regional emerging talent program um but yes yeah, certainly the 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 event at st george's park um we're not sure if we're calling it like our an retp festival of, of sorts but um still still a work in progress at the moment but yeah essentially we're looking to invite the top players um across the three regions to come together um to again see how they get on with a player from a different region so whilst we might have a really good idea and understanding of how well a player is performing in the north we 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 may not have seen them on the same court in in the same environment as someone in the south so last year was the very first time we we did this and it was a a great success we're thinking about how we can um, expand and, and and develop that for this year but yeah, of course, we, we would, would like to do something similar again in in the hope that uh, Will Perkins and the rest of his team across the NETP can see uh, the, the current crop of RETP players and um, assess them and, and see who would be suitable for um, to make the next day step up. So we've spoken about the RETP, we've discussed the NETP being the next level up. Uh, it was only last year we saw the formation of the England development team, which s- sits just under the England senior team. Adam, can you talk about the introduction of that and how that fits into this kind of diff- wider pathway? Yeah, so the development team was effectively introduced to, to bridge the gap, really, um, and by that I mean obviously we're in a really good position where we have a lot of, of talented players but with the senior squad there are only eight players within it so we've got a lot of players that are maybe just underneath that uh, and there was a gap from the national talent program to the senior squad so the establishment of a development squad has meant that those players that are have made really good progress within the national talent program had the opportunity to move up to the senior squad but with that jump having that sort of interim ground has meant that they can continue to to grow and develop um, as individuals and as a collective um, and also then uh, have the opportunity to uh, participate in competitions as well so for example there has been and will be this season as well a couple of Um, quad nations and home nations events whereby development squad players will be able to be put into that environment 
uh, to give them the opportunity to, to represent uh, England and then to see how they cope within that competitive environment uh, against players that they may not have ever played before, against nations they may not have ever played before and almost use that as a development ground for them to then make that step up into to the senior squad and likewise it gives players within the senior squad who may be uh, less experienced some of our younger players in the senior squad like a Dan McClellan or a Tyler Reeve that have gone through the programme it means that they'll be able to potentially get additional exposure and experience at a high level as well and it just helps to, to bridge the gap and it also gives the senior squad um, potential opposition as well so development squad players would regularly in the build up to the World Cup come to St George's Park and participate in, in fixtures and we're in, as I say we're in a really good place whereby some of our development players are at a great level if we didn't have such a depth of players would potentially be senior squad players and wouldn't look out of place uh, really and also if they were on uh, a world stage I think that if they were a World Cup and it was an England development squad or that type of uh, squad they I think they would do really well at a World Cup level as well such is the talent that we have so it's really helped to um, supplement the pyramid right at the top and it's given players uh, a proper ladder and a process to be able to to move through to obviously ultimately uh, go on and represent seniors I think the introduction of it can't be understated <clears throat> whereas as you mentioned the England senior squad is only comprised of eight players having that England development team underneath now means that the ambition and the dream of representing uh, your country is so much more attainable because for myself certainly and I'm sure the players as well representing and putting on that the three lines England kit whether that's England senior level or England development level still means you're there representing your country so they've almost doubled the opportunity for players uh, to put on that shirt absolutely and also to to add as well obviously we talk about uh, the program as something where we're trying to identify players from a young age and, and move them through the program the development squads also acted uh, as a great uh, opportunity for players that have maybe missed it to the program because of age um, but if they've had a really strong national league season and they're making really good progress at a club level then they can come into the development squad to be uh, to be viewed and, and supported at that level as well so the door is is never closed when it comes to uh, some of our older power chair players as well so going forward uh, obviously it just it's absolutely thriving at the moment and <coughs> I, I may be biased but i feel it's probably one of the most comprehensive talent pathways in any form of sport let alone football Rob, do you, do you have any sort of vision of how this program can evolve going forward? Have you got any thoughts or considerations that you want to implement to maybe improve its, the program or its visibility? Sure. Well, something we want to try and do a little bit better across all our, our pathway really is make sure that our squads are fully representative of society, giving all communities, people from all backgrounds, a, a chance to um, realise their dream. And I think it's important that we 
um, look at how we can best do that. You know, players that we realise how how essential it is for players to have that support network. Um, you know, there's an awful lot of travelling uh, involved in in being being an England player um, and being on the pathway. So, you know, it's important that we try and look at different ways that we can engage absolutely everyone to really maximise our talent pool. That's that's certainly one thing that that uh, myself and my colleagues in the in the in the talent team are, are looking at how how best we can do do that. Um, there's always going to be a conversation around at what level we support players in the RATP. So, for example, when when a player does take the step to NATP, there are there is uh, psychological support and uh, physio support. It's not something we 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 always offer at RATP, but it might be something we could consider in the future. Um, and you know, at the moment we've well recently ha- have expanded from two regions to three um, if we if, I guess if we ever felt there was a need for a, additional coverage in a new geographical area of the country that that could well be something we discuss as well but um, yeah we, we're always looking for innovative ways to to develop and, and grow the pathway and um, we there's, there is a whole team of us and, and Adam being a, a really integral voice in the discussions um, it, it's probably worth handing over to, to you Adam without putting you on the spot to see if there's any any um, any visions you, you have for the progression of, of, our, of our RATP yeah I think for me there's probably a couple of areas so I as the the program has progressed and evolved I think naturally we will begin to see a a new cohort of players coming into the program so i think by that we're probably going to see the the average the overall average age of the players at retp level probably decrease which i think is great because it will give coaches uh, a, a younger cohort to to work with potentially for a prolonged period of time to really embed uh, the key messages uh, that we, we want to to put to them and coinciding with that, I think there's a bit of work for, for myself to lead on and, and working with Rob and, and the team around developing a bit more of a framework around what coaching looks like at this level. So being really clear as to some of the key things that we want coaches uh, to, to be aware of and to potentially focus on. Because for us, yes, we're aware of, of the way that the, the England senior side look to play in their style of play and but at this level coaching players to play in that style of play isn't a fundamental requirement working on their technical abilities and building their uh, their game understanding and decision making that for me is key at this stage and then we can use the NETP and the development squad levels to really work on uh, their their tactical understanding and, and that style of play and then I think to add to the pool of coaches that we have, so we've got great coaches uh, at, at the moment. And obviously Al's on the call. We've got Paul and we've had Chris, Brad and, and Dave have done some great work in the Midlands. But I think having some extra coaches potentially uh, be available and, and interested to be able to support the programme, I think is only going to, 
benefit the players. It's going to challenge the existing coaches as well. And potentially it means that they'll be able to, to get together and to uh, develop and, and bounce off each other as well. So being able to have a real impact, not only uh, on the court, but also off the court as well from both the playing and the coaching side, I think is, is the future for, for the RETP. Yeah, I think on that point, we as the WFA probably have a responsibility in communicating the fact that RETPs are taking place because we've had external coaches present before, but if we uh, ha made a greater effort to ensure that their messages were relayed across our, co our community, uh, we would see uh, a stronger presence of uh, coaches and the same can be applied for that <coughs> Um, that day at St George's Park where the, the top performers come in uh, to be assessed for NETP and it's on that point I'd like for you Adam being so influential within the RETP and NETP to explain the difference and how the RETP differs from uh, the NETP in terms of its objectives, its structure, its opportunities because sometimes the NETP be held across multiple days it introduces theoretical based situations so can you just talk about that a little bit more yeah so i think the the netp is is that step up so from from our point of view what we're looking at for players to progress you know we're looking for the retp to start to to build and shape well-rounded players so you know the basics of, of their technical abilities around their chair control and their technical skills of ball striking, and then also um, their their understanding and their decision making, as I touched on, um, as well as as we put up at the start around being showing signs of, of leadership and communication, having a good attitude, um, and that willingness to learn and develop. And through that, those are the the key things that we look as characteristics to progress players through to the, the next stage at NETP level where it is a, a more contact time so there are weekend camps at uh, Limishaw where players come together and they're having four potentially five sessions on court alongside as Rob touched on um, some of the psychological components working on things such as um, dealing and how they cope in, in pressurized situations, goal setting, to to build that side of their understanding and their progression towards wanting to be uh, an, an elite level player, and also exposing them and putting them into a new environment. So coming together as a group with players they might they might know of them but not necessarily too deeply, um, and and making a new cohort of of players, but also building friendship groups as well because. If you are part of the NETP, you're normally together for a minimum of 12 months. So you're coming together and you're building those relationships because we want them to be able to obviously excel as players, but that also coincides with building those relationships off the pitch as well to then see them go th uh, through through the stages. So it's, it's that step up in terms of the, the level of the expectation and the standard and it's going back to what I said about being comfortably uncomfortable, putting them in a new environment and seeing um, how they how they cope. And for us as, as coaches and for me um, 
coaching with the NE, at the NETP level, trying to, again, continue to support them on their journey, but also challenging them to really push themselves um, and, and see where they're at and offering that uh, feedback and support to them both on and off the pitch as well. Um, really interesting kind of take on the, the, the differences there, particularly when you think about what an, what an England player is going to experience the first time they go into a squad and then maybe into a first international tournament. That new environment scenario, the new relationships, new challenges, and preparing them through that with experiences in 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 a within the setting and within the context of being a on the England pathway, I think is really important. Um, and that being adaptable and and uh, doing that, just a, a thought pops in my head. I think I'm right in saying that England have never had a worse result in the knockout stages of a tournament against a team that they played in the group stages of a tournament. So i.e. They, they play them in the group stage and they might do do well, but they normally, I think they've only ever done better in the uh, knockout stages. And knowing how they operate, that's about players understanding, progression, communication, development of what they're doing within the tournament. And so being able to develop those skills and understand that that's what is needed to be an international player, and that's a part of your skill set you need to have, and that comes back to character, and being able to, to communicate and talk and have, have a confidence in your own uh, observations and analysis and your ability to cope in new environments and thrive in those and see that pressure as an opportunity to perform. All of those things are, are basics from the and, and experiences that start being built from the RETP first session up to coming into that development squad and then stepping into that senior squad. All key personal characteristics and skills that you need uh, to be a successful England player. So. Um, you can see that thread running through. Absolutely. Alex, we, sorry to interrupt there, Alex. It's important also just to mention here, we, unfortunately not every player in the RATP will make that uh, ultimate step to represent their country at the senior level. So what we, what we are also really keen on doing is not just developing really excellent football players, but also you know, encouraging personal growth and making sure we are you know not just developing elite athletes but we're actually also developing good human beings and and those interpersonal skills your social activities in in training sessions absolutely does that <coughs> i i probably promise you guys and, and shouldn't overkill this at all i'm going to nod back to our pending medium-term strategy as well so i think the bit that you've just said there uh, Rob really kind of resonates because for me again a working title of this but more than just football program that's something we will be implementing we're not starting from ground zero on that the reality is we've already started to put things in place and we've taken responsibility to educate people in lots of different ways and and grow them and help them develop and and, and see things very differently and and that's as much around social skills, things that you've mentioned around leadership, communications, those kind of things. But that's something we're really wedded to alongside the medium-term strategy. So hopefully that those are things that are skills that you can take onto the court and onto the pitch, but actually they're also things that you leave people with as well, that they can, they can deploy in all aspects of their lives. So we're very, very certain that that's a direction that we want to go into more fully than, than even what we're doing right now. Thank you, Dean, and thank you, Adam and Rob. I think we've had a, a very detailed in, in 
in-depth dive into the REPP where it fits in the uh, para talent pathway up to national squad development squad NETP um, and it's been a really interesting discussion it's great to see the the threads running through all of those uh, sections and the opportunities that that players are uh, given and exposed to uh, both from a football point of view and, and as, as you said Rob as a uh, human beings point of view as well so thank you very much for joining us it's been a, a great discussion any final thoughts from uh, you no, really great insight, as you just mentioned. I think there's a lot of takeaways for people that are tuning in, whether you want to get onto the program or even if you're currently on the program. We've emphasised uh, the fact that the six key capabilities, and we'll repeat them again, scanning, timing, movement, positioning, deception and technique are such important factors of progression through the pathway. Um, and Adam brilliantly broke them down and gave really good uh, examples of how they're relevant to power chair football and also that communication social piece and how we want people to come uh, and ask questions and be inquisitive and communicate with new people and the same thing that Adam said being comfortable uh, in uncomfortable situations and if you can apply all kind of aspects like that you're certain to go far within the program great stuff uh thank you rob thank you adam thank you dean and thank you right we'll see you all again sometime soon